0: So we've talked a little bit about aesthetics and what I think is Mars's massive aesthetic problem as a Martian colony is currently envisaged. This week I want to discuss what to do about it. We'll look at color theory, analogs of the present problems faced when planning this kind of thing that have been overcome in the past and that in some cases just weren't an issue at all. When people in the modern or pre-modern world dealt with them and some natural technical solutions that will make Mars a much more beautiful place to live and to thrive.
1: That's this week in the Nexus Aurora podcast. I want to go back slightly to ask you something about just the physical aesthetics of, of what things would look like if we're trying to build a Mars colony. Do you think that if we allow ourselves to be too much guided by the kind of aesthetic of the day, you know, this apple punk style, if we go to Mars with that, we can probably kind of imagine what it would look like. Everything would just be very smooth, you know touch screens everywhere in a way that is form over function. Do you think that if we were to take more of a practical approach to it, it would actually look more like something either out of the 80s or maybe the kind of sci-fi that we had in the sort of 70s and 80s? Do you think that might be close to what it would actually look like? Because if you look at something like um say the original Battlestar Galactica, or actually even the newer Battlestar Galactica, or like Space 1999, at the time, it kind of seemed futuristic because they took the technology of the day and just plastered it all over everything. And everything is like little flashing lights, small screens, uh, physical switches, and stuff like that. And in a way, that actually seems like maybe it's more practical for that kind of environment than just having all these smooth glass and aluminium surfaces. Yes, I agree. So in the case of Apple and so on, like um,
0: your, your, your new phone when you when you go to buy it the traits which make you assume that it's of high value and is prestigious are exactly those traits which are most difficult to achieve in practice so you know a, a perfectly engineered form which has no features to it or almost no features to it it's like the the uh, the epitome of you know modern engineering because that's actually quite hard to do it'd be much easier to make a phone with uh, you know like a little heat sink on the back or, you know something like this it wouldn't overheat so so easily as they actually end up doing, or you know, a, a screen with, with cracks in it, or you know, or uh, that 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 doesn't quite fit in exactly uh, to its mounting, or you know, where you have exposed parts at the back so that you can easily get to them for maintenance and so on. Uh, but getting a phone that looks completely pristine, perfect, and so on, uh, that apparently is associated with perception of very high value. I. Uh, I, I don't I don't like I don't like the general idea of this in the first place, uh, <laughs> but thankfully as well on Mars, especially especially on, on someone like Mars. Right. Uh, it's also not 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 really viable because, well, it's hard enough to make anything on Mars. I mean, no one's ever done it before. So that, in fact, maybe uh, everything would kind of look look like it, it did in, uh, in 80s science fiction and so on or, or 70s science fiction, even. That kind of uh, the Star Wars style, uh, technology stuck on the outside. I think probably yeah, it would look a lot more like Star Wars. It's actually easier to make stuff that looks like Star Wars on on um, on another planet because well, making anything's hard. And I, I mean, this is it's, it's quite a nice aesthetic anyway. I would add actually that um, that's not quite complete. I would go with uh, sort of Star Wars, but with the uh, the character appearance. And perhaps even the color scheme of like uh, ray punk you know nineteen ten to 1930s science fiction I would say the if your if your vehicles and your uh, your 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 habitats and so on have the feel of star wars, though the interior I would have more more green stuff around so more more plants and so on, I would obviously incorporate more of that because it's it's going to be a bit unhealthy you can imagine how how easy it would be to get completely inundated by nasty toxins emitted from um, you know plastics and so on that you, you, you're just exposed to all the time if you're in an artificial habitat. And foul smells, things like this, that, these aren't good. Uh, to get around those, I would have more plants everywhere uh, to the greatest extent possible. Uh, you know, it's hard to do, but it's worth it. But outside of that, you know, the Star Warsy feel is a good one, especially the original Star wars feel. But then with, with people, the, uh, the spacesuits and so on, which are critically important, and the, the feel of what you should be doing, uh, how, how people should present themselves when they, when they know they're on camera. I, I think the, the better thing for that would be uh, science fic- the science fiction version of romanticism, like the romantic movement in, in terms of painting and so on, as it existed in the late 18th and early 19th century, something like that, uh, but extended to, extended to space is a totally doable thing. You can do romanticism in space; it lends itself to this very well. Uh, but it's also it's also exactly what you want from a, a spacefaring civilization: an excuse for an excuse for people to be involved in a human way with the technology that they that they have in the modern day. So, uh, with 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 technological innovation and so on, that is. So, in much the same way that uh, you come up with excuses to have giant robots in your science fiction, uh, you know, animated television show or whatever, uh, because that's really what you want. And if you're clever enough, if all the smart people and the, uh, the, the people who are most involved uh, with, what, with, with what they're trying to do are on team giant robot, and you can only get people who are you know, misanthropic, basically, and otherwise disinterested to work on your automated drones, uh, the people making the giant robot at least in principle could make a much better attack drone thing than they could a giant robot but the giant robot might still be able to outcompete the attack drone if all the best minds couldn't care less about attack drones and go with the giant robot instead, much like uh you know the last samurai the, the you know the the movie with tom Cruise and so on uh if you, if you've seen that like the the struggle between the the samurai and the um, uh, the imperial japanese army uh, is Quite similar to what I'm talking about here, right? Uh, in many senses, several cent- centuries—you uh, know, several centuries in the past. It's also uh, well, one and a half centuries in the past, and uh, it's not quite, not quite realistic. You know, it's, it's not quite historically accurate. Nonetheless, similar deal, right? The the samurai being the faction that I'm proposing we be. Well. In in a similar way, if you think of uh, the justification for having humans doing romantic things on Mars being uh, ultimately just a, a series of excuses for having humans where, where otherwise perhaps you could get away without them, uh, If if that's just a part of who we are, if it's not something we'd like to give up, and it can't be because if it is, you shouldn't go to space in the first place. There isn't really anything there that you can't get on Earth. You, you it only makes sense to go to space if you're a romantic basically in i don't mean romantic as in you know like um romantic comedy or something i mean uh romantic in the the uh, the original sense uh as pertaining to rome perhaps is is this really roman they were they were kind of uptight and uh uh you know extremely like they they had some some uh, some aspects of what we call romantic i suppose but I, I'm not sure they're the most romantic of the ancient peoples. I'd say the Greeks were more romantic than the Romans were. never mind <laughs> but that that kind of if you if you are a um a a, a, a human supremacist, you like people rather than uh, automated systems, then nonetheless space can help you space, space is probably the only place you can really go that's viable in the long term right technologically speaking uh because it, you know if you stay on if you stay on Earth, then uh, eventually, like, if you don't, you don't want uh, if you don't want any space colonization, perhaps you will get out competed by at least weak AI. I've, there is no progress towards strong AI, but weak AI is progressing, and it's quite scary. As in, you know, maybe you won't be needed in the factory anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe politics will be completely determined by uh, you know uh, uh, bots on Twitter or something like this. That is realistic. Having you know like a HAL 9000 or something like that from 2001: um, to Space Odyssey, uh, there's no progress towards that at all. Uh, there's, it's not clear that you could make anything like that with modern technology. But you don't need to for it to really, you know, for 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 you to wake up in a world where uh, being being human is actually not necessary or desirable <laughs> to be part of modern civilization. Uh, if you if you are a human supremacist, well, well, welcome welcome to the resistance. Right? Uh, it's easy enough, if you know what you're doing, to find things that people really can do quite well and still compete, with, uh, compete against our opposition, which is the, the aesthetics of the modern day and the, the tendencies of the modern day. It's really possible to compete against that and to put people in the driving seat once more. Put yourself in a position where you can actually do something cool with your life. Like, it can be done. Uh, we just we need to be smarter than the opposition. But if if we're drawing in all all the all the people who are excited enough about what they do to stay up till four o'clock in the morning, really thinking about it and getting it to work, as I am, uh, then we might stand a chance. hence you know, I, I think I think it might be quite fun. And with that with that alteration, then just with uh, with people looking the way that they did, uh, the people in spacesuits and so on, the spacesuit design maybe not the literal spacesuit design. Some of it does look a little archaic now especially the some of the helmets that look a bit like diver helmets actually they're quite similar to uh burgundian helmets the 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 burgundian knights as they existed in the middle ages who are fantastic by the way uh if ever you want to look at uh you know like um uh over the top uh, military uh uh you know armor and things like this back you know back before the invention of gunpowder uh look up the the burgundian knights they're fantastic but <laughs> they they, they were very rich, you see. Burgundian wine is still the best wine in the world, like uh, most expensive. Uh, they don't make much of it, but it's extremely expensive. I, anyway, uh, so, so not every aspect of the look of Ray Punk, but the, the general feel of Ray Punk, you assign that to uh, spacesuits and people, and I think you've, you've got something like a, uh, a good pitch for an aesthetic look for what Mars could actually be and should actually be. Rather than being too sleek, and too streamlined and ultimately not welcoming to people
1: uh i don't know if this is this totally fits but i i was gonna ask uh there doesn't really seem to be like optimistic modern sci-fi anymore would you have any opinions on that that you might be able to share like if i just phrase that as a proper question yes actually this is this the thing uh
0: i could easily talk about that for like another two and a half maybe three hours like happily (laughs) The trouble is, I'm not sure I can, because a lot of this is dangerously close to being uh, political. So the the tendency with the internet is to uh, make everything politically relevant. You know, like I, I think this is this isn't a particularly controversial position to take. I've heard that talked about a lot. Uh, so you know, if you if you can control how people are going to vote on the basis of uh, you know what their mood is and so on. You can track that very well with uh, with, with Twitter, with uh, with Facebook, with social media in general. You can tw- you can you carefully track the results of particular content that you put out, and hence you can perhaps predict what's going to get you votes or what's going to you know uh, get more support for your newest uh, you know your your newest commercial program or something like that. And, and hence, uh, it's it's no surprise that everything's very politically motivated in the modern day. Like the, we have the politicization of basically all aspects of our culture, so that like uh, well, okay, I'll maybe I'll I'll I'll, I'll try and be a, a little bit risque, but without obviously maybe taking sides or anything like this. But the trouble is, uh, analyzing our modern culture is so difficult to do without uh, without making at least. Observations which stand the um, or which which have the potential of being political observations, it seems like to a large extent the formula for modern modern movies and so on is just uh, take an old idea but then update it with uh, like um with well. I, I I just I don't think it's derogatory. Uh, the like the woke ideology adds something extra in from that. It's like you know Ghostbusters, but now all the main characters are are, are female or something like this. Uh, n- not to you know I I, I don't want to address whether or not that's a good thing, but the um, uh, the 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 danger that comes with doing things like this is that the the focus shifts away from away from the real purpose of science fiction in general. Right. So y- if you if the purpose of your of your film is uh not even to make money, a lot of these films lose money now. Uh but well, that's always been the case. There's been an argument that uh you know a, a lot of Western Western media, well, certainly what the Western film industry is all about uh like <laughs> uh, tax evasion. So if you well no, excuse me, not tax evasion, but um deliberately losing money in order to not pay as much tax, right? Because you can uh you can you're allowed to uh not pay so much uh, tax if you if you put money into films because money uh, uh like as, as far as films go like the the rate of failure for films is so high you can just sort of get away with it uh so the the producers popular uh, popular movie actually there's like multiple versions of it uh that it, it goes into this in depth very good movie by the way uh, well pair of movies the old version and the new one both good um uh, nonetheless with all these confounding factors uh taken into account like still. It seems like the 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 mechanism for cultural production in the modern day is uh, finds itself far more obsessed with uh the political relevance of what it's what it's saying than with the content of what it's saying like the the with exploring new ideas like the uh, the technical relevance of what it discusses you know so like um i it, it feels like it feels like kind of We've, we, don't, we don't dream anymore the way that we used to, even a few generations back, not even like one generation back. So, even looking at cyberpunk, for instance, cyberpunk was not like this. I think the internet's kind of done this to us. Uh, the, it's not even just that our movies today are depressing. Like a lot of science fiction, say from the 80s and 90s, was also depressing, but it was not so dangerous for us. So, like you, you, take, um, you take Blade Runner, for instance, it's a, a rundown and dystopian uh, universe find yourself in, right? a, a future where the, the buildings are, are so enormous in scale uh, they, that individual people are completely irrelevant compared to the, the environment that they find themselves in. I, that ought to be easy enough to, you know, to connect the dots with, right? Because if you, if you walk through New York or something, which is not nearly so enormous as the, uh, the scales in Blade Runner or even London or something like that around tower blocks and so on, already they are so colossally huge and uh, you know so uh, so devoid of deliberate detail you know like so so sort of mass produced and simplistic as to make uh, the, the the plight of the individual completely irrelevant compared to the scale of things going on around you you're kind of overwhelmed by them so it is with with blade runner and so on nonetheless there's a lot of nostalgia for films like this even though objectively they're dystopian they're still kind of cool because the main characters are allowed to sort of struggle against them, they, they, kind of, they uh, struggle against the, the world in which they find themselves. They, they're able to, so in the, case of, in the case of Blade Runner, they're able to ask questions about who they are and who they ought to be. In the modern day, asking questions about who you are and who you ought to be is directly equivalent to making a political statement so that you can tell what factions are supported by what kinds of movies. And what kinds of shows and so on, in which case, picking any kind of um, uh, any kind of idea to investigate is tantamount to making political statements and hence potentially dangerous. so you tend to have films which make no statements at all, apart from the obvious ones, the choice of which character is to be playing which role you know it's a remake of such and such, but now the main character is of uh, i don't know such and such a uh, uh, a, a politically relevant group, for, you know, uh, to to make such and such a statement, I, you know, like uh, this is so so powerful apparently in the modern world, so striking as to completely dwarf anything that might be gained by asking sorts of questions that science fiction is supposed to ask. So, I think this this trend, uh, like towards depressing science fiction. That was around in the eighties and nineties, but it wasn't even that bad. Like The Matrix is a really good film. I don't know about the sequels and so on. Everyone, everyone says the same thing. Even those aren't actually that bad. Like I kind of like the sequ- certainly the aesthetic. Well, I don't know about the aesthetics. The um, the the thought that went into their production is very impressive. And you know, like the what was it Zion the um, the the humans based like in, in the Matrix films, the the third Matrix films, uh, uh, the Matrix Revelations. Uh, that's really pretty. I, you know, I don't know that that's a desirable thing, but at the very least, it's evocative. It's nice to look at, uh, even though I wouldn't want to live there. It's still nice to look at. It's not something I want to emulate, but it's still cool. Uh, but so, vast uh, cinema did get depressing. Certainly, science fiction got depressing for a while. We're now sort of post post dystopian, post depressing. It's now much worse. We're not even allowed to look at uh, the sort of depressing ideas of what the future might be and ask genuine questions about it because these might have uh, political implications. So we're sort of at the stage where almost nothing is said in anything that is uh, that that, that's produced, and so you get films like, for instance, Ready Player One. Did you see that?
1: Uh, No, I haven't yet. It's on my list, but I haven't got to it.
0: It's not bad. That's the thing. Like uh, again, you know. I I worry about these sorts of things because it, maybe it sounds like I'm being derogatory and so on. Like I, I don't I don't know. Like it's okay to like what you like or want to watch what you watch. Like I I I, I have my own uh, my own taste and so on. Uh, I, I don't want to be like derogatory towards any um, any 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 films or products or anything like this. But in the case of Ready Player One, whilst it is a good film, uh, generally speaking, it's it's a film entirely about references and nostalgia. Like everything, everything in there is a reference to something that's already been. So that's sort of like, you, you know, in the 80s, you had like the, the DeLorean that does the time travel thing and so on. The entire film is this, like a series of them, so there must be thousands of re- references to things which already exist. There's no, there, there are no new ideas really tried out. So it's much cheaper to make references to things that have already existed in, in, uh, in one sense. In the other things that have already existed are safer than things that haven't been tried before by definition. I mean, obviously. it's much safer to go with something that's already been tried, excuse me, than something that's not been tried. With the things that have not been tried, uh, you might be making a statement that's not what you intended to make, and that's still politically relevant. If you get on someone's bad side, maybe that's, maybe that's the end for you. I don't know how, this, how, how it works. Like, uh, it would be interesting to watch science fiction made, you know, like a, like, or historical fiction made in our era. Like, uh, what, what happens to you if you make the wrong statements to the wrong people? Or so I don't know, right? Uh, do they come get you or something like this? I, some people say that that's how it works. I just, I'm not sure. But I, I could certainly see, at least in some cases, things like that having happened before. You, know, you, you make the wrong kind of statement of some, of some kind on social media and they come and they get you or something like this, right? Well, if you're, if you're just making a reference to something that's already existed, you don't need to worry about that. So we have almost the death of science fiction in the modern day. I, but more than that, like um, even portrayals of things that have, uh, that have been done in the past, uh, they, they, they tend to lose their luster a little bit. Like they're, kind of, they're kind of cheapened because they, they, they become cliche as they're repeated. But more than that, uh, since, since the, obvious, the obvious objective of a film has nothing to do with the uh, the the science fiction elements they're just sort of stuck in there because well you know you know Total Recall that was a film once everyone knows Total Recall right so if we just sort of put that plot in there well then the twist is such and such a character is now they of a, a a politically relevant group of some kind what do you think of that kind of thing right like uh, that kind of recipe uh, leads naturally to things becoming cliche that that might still have been healthy. You, you, you stick them in like as, a, as, as an afterthought almost and as a, a, an unnecessary backdrop that's not the purpose of the movie. So taking the new Ghostbusters, for instance, uh, like, clearly it's not about what the original Ghostbusters was about. There's, there's nothing there uh, talking about, say, entrepreneurship and so on or you know, starting up a small business. This is sort of added in that it's taken directly out of the original and stuck into the new one uh, for the sake of it, just so they can set it up. But then what they really want to talk about uh, is completely tangential to the, the science fiction aspects of the original film. I would say then that to a large extent, science fiction is very unhealthy at the moment. Like it's very hard to actually do any because of these restrictions and because of just how things have turned out, uh, which is a great shame. Uh, I don't know that it's like, uh, I, I know uh, some people say, you know, this like a, it's like it's deliberately built this way. You know, this was a plan to like uh, demoralize people and so on and so forth. I'm not sure that that's the case. It could just be that this is just the natural way things happened with the internet at our particular time. Again, you don't really know exactly what your aesthetic looks like until you're outside of it. So I call what we have at the moment Apple Punk. Uh, And, you know, if you make science fiction stories about us, perhaps afterwards, when it becomes possible to do so again, perhaps there'll be aspects of our time. Which we will recognize in retrospect. But then now that we're in it, we just sort of accept as reality, even though they're very strange. So that, you know, it's hard to say when you're already inside, except that perhaps, you know, uh, if, you, if you look at how things are from the lens of people who used to exist but who don't exist anymore, especially like in the ancient world, uh, clearly there are there so many dimensions in which they'd look at us and be like, what are you doing? How does any of that make sense? They would find us completely bizarre in so many ways. <laughs> okay. Not even the technology. The technology would be relatively easy to sell to them. But uh, as in, like you know, they, they see a car moving, they're like, "Wow, how do you do that?" And then you explain it, like, "That's fascinating." A week later, they're like, "Oh, okay, there's a car." But then you know, like, there are so many things that we we end up doing in the modern day that are alien to them. That people even like, uh, even certainly fifty years ago, but even like thirty years ago. People be so uh, so confused by. They wouldn't believe it if they saw it for their own eyes, with their own eyes. Excuse me. Uh, that this leads me to believe at least that there are aspects of our culture that that are unique to us. There are things that we do that are unique to our own aesthetic, to 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 our own time, that don't really make sense and won't make sense long term. So that when we look at it in retrospect, or other people who come after us look. Uh, look back at us objectively, or you know, maybe not objectively, but certainly from a different viewpoint from whatever their viewpoint ends up being. They'll have a lot to say, <laughs> and all the sorts of things we just sort of take for granted about ourselves. Uh, it, perhaps it's unlikely that all of them, or even the vast majority of them, are just kind of uh, mundane and uh, you know, casu- like casual things that you can just have going on. It's like, well, you know, uh, I can't even give examples because, well. By, by the very nature of the conversation, any example might be, you know, potentially offensive. Maybe, maybe holds political relevance. Like, I, I, don't want to get into this, but you can imagine what you might come up with that uh, apparently is normal in the modern day that almost everyone, everywhere, and in every time period, apart from ours, would think is extremely strange. So, okay, but maybe our work habits. There we go. Our work habits are really <laughs> quite, quite bizarre. <laughs> okay, that, that. At least that's not controversial. Uh, whether or not they are bizarre is irrelevant. At the very least, since everyone else thinks they'd be bizarre, that's an indication that from outside of our time, outside of our bubble, uh, it, it, it would it would be something quite unique. At least uniqueness is probably what defines an aesthetic. So the the aesthetic of Apple Punk, I, I I've been. Uh, surprisingly, not uh, not specific on what I, what I think this aesthetic looks like. We know the uh, the obvious elements, you know, like uh, clean, sleek surfaces, uh, photography. There we go. If you to derogatively uh, <laughs> look, look upon our aesthetic, you know, if I was to if I was to make a joke about it, I suppose. But you know, this jokes about uh, you know groups and aesthetics that probably hold the most truth in them, and that, you know you can compress it down quite a lot, even if the jokes are mean, you know. Uh, uh i uh, well i'm I'm from the uk so maybe you know you come up with some uh, you know joke against the you know the average occupant of the uk or something like this perhaps the joke is mean but maybe it holds some truth to it you can you can compress a lot of meaning into jokes even mean ones right well for the uh the aesthetics of our day i would say it, i would say it's almost like um if i was if I was to try to you know gently make make a, make, make jokes about it i would say if you, if you paid a photographer to make, a, to make an aesthetic movement, to make an aesthetic feel, perhaps you get what we have now. We have really crisp lighting, good understanding of color and uh, composition and so on for the things that get produced, for our cultural artifacts, for our styles, for the, you know, the posters that get put up and so on, for the products that get made. Uh, all of this is done spectacularly well, but the actual content itself is all... Just taken from somewhere else. It's crisp photographs, uh, direct uh, copies of what exists elsewhere, just crisply rearranged almost as a collage to create what we see around us or the feel of what we see around us. Maybe not literally what we see around us, but the, the, the feel associated with the way things looked in the modern day. That's, what, that, that's how I'd characterize Apple Punk in general. It's just sort of, um, yeah, the world built by photographers. I suppose. If you look at someone like Steve Jobs, uh, and you you know, uh, you look at the sort of the yeah the, the things that he said, and the conversations he was in, and and the a lot of the innovations that he was a big part of, or at least he was in charge of, he was managing, even if he wasn't the one making the innovations, the ones that he chose out of a bunch that were set available to him. Okay, these are the projects going on at Apple. Which ones do you want to go with? Uh, well, I think we should go with that. He says, and so now that's the thing that's chosen. The aesthetic, the things that he chooses and uh, the the ideas that he talks about, they're very well. They're very much along these lines. Uh, all of his thinking has this this kind of feel at its heart. You know, the uh, uh, a, a new age sort of modern art aesthetic, but it's not a it's not modern art deliberately trying to be uh, garish the way that modern art typically is, like in uh, in a modern art gallery or something. You know, you have a, a chicken cut in half or something like this. Uh, as you know, the look of the look of the the art of the modern day. Uh, in that case, it makes sense because you're you're trying to get as much attention as possible from passersby. In the case of uh, you know Apple products and so on, you want to sell your products, and so they they can't be deliberately ugly. They have to look nice. Well, in order to get something that looks nice and yet that matches the kind of aesthetic that you get in a modern art gallery, which is kind of uh, in many senses very egalitarian. Like uh, photography is very egalitarian by nature because it implies that uh, what well, anyone can get a camera, anyone can press press a button and take a picture. Anyone can get involved, whereas some people cannot do what, say, Bourgeois did, or you know, even like uh, even Van Gogh or someone or or or, or, or Butler, right? Uh, painting a painting like Butler did, I'm not sure if I had 30 years practice I could do that. I don't. This is fun, uh, fundamentally an aristocratic pursuit. Photography is not, but obviously you have a choice of what you're taking a photograph of. Hence why it's an art form. Nonetheless, like, uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of elements to it which really match the kinds of things that Steve Jobs talked about and other people who are responsible for the look of the modern day. Though I would say it's more or less his invention or the invention of people who are working with him or for him. Still, I, I, I don't know. It has, it has its redeeming features. I don't think we're particularly a particularly bad era, in many senses. It's just it's not desirable from my perspective. I think it's dangerous uh, for us to try to sell space on the basis of what we have at the moment. So I've to elaborate on that a little further as well. Uh, if you, you apply Apple Punk to space, and you get um, well, you, you get things like everything feels like a board meeting. You know, you, you get people together and you talk about how to, how to build a, a space colony or something. If you did that in the 1950s, everyone talks only about technical stuff. Everyone wants to know how to make the best nuclear reactor possible. Everything's going to be done with, uh, you know, like uh, nuclear explosions, maybe. How do we get fusion to work? You know, it's like everything looks like a, a sleek supersonic airplane or something like that. And they're like, well, that's so 1950s. So to, to paraphrase Peter Thiel, uh, who, who talked, yeah, there we go. Peter Thiel's quote's a great one, right? this is a billionaire investor, Peter Thiel. He said, uh, to- taking terraforming of Mars and how, how ideas about how to, change, uh, how to do that have changed over the, over the ages. Uh, you know, you go to the 1950s, people are like, well, we'll put a giant nuclear reactor on the surface and we'll pump out that uh, carbons that'll, or, or something like this, right? Uh, and then we'll warm the planet up. And he's like, well, that's so 1950s. Of course he would, right? Then in the modern day, it's like, uh, you know, we'll We'll put down uh, a, a certain type of genetically engineered algae, and we'll put it over the planet, and then it'll slowly you know uh slowly warm up the uh the surface, you know, giving out maybe and we'll perhaps we'll warm it artificially, and then this'll this will convert the um, convert the carbon dioxide given out from the poles into just sequestered carbon and then you've got oxygen in the atmosphere, or perhaps you know the 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 microorganisms will do some other such thing. And we'll get there with you know uh, uh, modularity and you know uh, promoting synergy. <laughs> we'll use spreadsheet optimization to do you know and uh, to, to develop the the algae thing or something like this. And he's like, well, that yeah, that's that's so that's so uh, uh, early two thousands, right? That's so early twenty first century. Of course, you'd think <laughs> to do it that way. Like if you're actually doing it, presumably you use a different way entirely. Neither of these seem like the actual things to do. Nonetheless, like um, it, it like there are there are good parts to it, but it, it doesn't like the the flavor of it is wrong. So if you, I've seen I've seen people get too too obsessed with uh with with based on economic calculations, you know uh, how uh like uh how do we how do we put together the the right the right legal framework to go to another world or something like this uh you know what. What should be the uh, what should be the logo? You know, uh, like uh, you know, ten pages of discussion about you know the the particular dimensions of the logo and which kind of text to use, but none about actual technical considerations. You're like, well, you know, that's so early 21st century. But that kind of aesthetic shouldn't be concerned with Mars in the first place. If you take that to its logical conclusions, you discover that Mars is just not somewhere you'd want to go anyway. There's nothing really that you can gain from going to Mars. If you surrender to this kind of aesthetic, the kind of aesthetic we have today, you shouldn't go anywhere. You should stay on Earth. You can have whatever you want. If life to you is like a board meeting at the toothpaste factory, you can have whatever you want without going to another world. It's fine, and you know there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I, I want to go to Mars, so we can't do it with this kind of uh, this kind of aesthetic backdrop. Perhaps it's not obvious, but I think upon closer inspection, it doesn't it doesn't quite hold up. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can get SpaceX, uh, well, maybe SpaceX can get to Mars, and take people there, but setting up a colony there is another thing entirely. I think Elon Musk understands this, which is why he said, I'm not in the business of colonizing Mars. That's someone else's job. I'm going to give you the means to get there. Once you do, or once I've got the means set up, someone else is going to have to do it. I can't do that part. That's been his, his, um, his position for years now, right? Ever since he started up SpaceX, uh, I, I completely agree. I think it's, it's, not, uh, it's not even that it's just not technically possible. If a space colony is just a series of cylinders filled up with air, with a few machines inside, there's no reason that SpaceX can't build something like that. If it's got the capacity to transport it to Mars, that's the hardest part. You can imagine setting something like that up and you know, getting away with it, but that's not really what a colony is. That's not really what a civilization is fundamentally. It's it's a, a a combined enterprise. It's a, uh, a in some senses in some senses a shared religion, though it doesn't have to be a literal religion. At least some aspects of the beliefs that get you up in the morning have to have some uh, an aspect of what can only be described as religious fervor attached to them. You have to really believe in what you're doing in some respects. Otherwise, you can't you can't do anything. You can't motivate yourself to do what needs to be done to set up a new civilization. Hence, uh, I, I'm not certain that Apple Punk has what it, what it takes to actually build a new civilization from scratch. I think even Elon agrees with me on this, right? From a democratic perspective, there's not really much point in man's space flight. I would say that. So, to, to summarize, I, uh, the not not just the boardroom sort of aesthetic, but the uh, the, the mechanisms of thinking that that uh, that govern the way that things fit together in the modern world they're not particularly well suited to spaceflight in general, so you 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 come across questions which don't have good answers that I'd say you know phrasing it in another way, you come across questions which don't have good answers if you are trying to justify space travel. From a modern perspective, so someone asks, "Okay, you want to go to Mars? How much do you expect to make out of that a year?" And you're like, uh, "By by the twenty-second century, you know, maybe we can turn the profit then." I guess like, right? Okay, so eighty-year time frame before you expect to be turning a profit. Fine, that that's good news. How much do you need? Like, what, hundreds of billions e- easily, maybe into the trillions by the time we get okay. <laughs> so, so my grandchildren. Won't won't, might start getting a return on investment if I give you this money now? (laughs) Like, (laughs) who wants to go with you? It's like, well, I mean, it's not like it it sounds nice, and um, as a an artifact of stuff that we had before, people still kind of like the idea of it. But all the really smart people, they're making spam filters, or uh, you know, like uh, coordinating botnets on Twitter and so on. So they don't, they don't really want to go, and they, you know, like for the most part, it doesn't, it doesn't even look that nice. So you're like, well. I, from, from the perspective of like a, um, a, a, a board meeting at the toothpaste factory or something, you wouldn't want to go at all. I don't think it's really something that's accessible to this mode of thinking, but there's enormous value that can exist through other, from other types of people, other frames of mind. So if you want to, if you want to come up with new ideas and uh, new innovations, profitable innovations, instead of going incrementally, which is how science generally works. The really great stuff happens all at once. It's a radical change in thinking. Radical changes in thinking require uh, require require the old idea of a gentleman from like the 19th century, someone who is well versed in many aspects of life, who takes things as a, uh, a a matter of honor, not just not just sort of uh, simple one-dimensional status. So it's not like a you know you you become a specialist in one area of life and you just sort of ignore everything else. Most the people who make really massive changes, uh, and, and in the period where we had the biggest changes in technology and so on, the biggest advances, like sort of uh, beginning of the 20th century, up to you know a couple of decades in, really, and it just all started to slow down and uh, bifurcate into all sorts of minor complications. And uh, we've got a lot more facts now, but ultimately, idea-wise, we're more or less at the same place. Quantum mechanics really is still the cutting edge. We just got more and more complex versions of it, but it's the same thing. There, there's no radically new ideas that have been proposed that actually stick anywhere. Amongst the, the groups of people who actually were capable of innovation and so on, they, they, were, they were aristocratic, fundamentally aristocratic. It's that kind of person who has the most potential to add value to humanity in the future. And they are the ones who, who are most inclined to go uh, to, to actually do space travel. They have a reason to do it, and it looks good for them. Whereas trying to justify this to people, you know, like a a, a, a typical Silicon Valley type person, it's, it's not really it's not really feasible. It doesn't it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. That's the major the major issue. So uh, how do you make things enticing for that group? How do you make it? Uh, how how do you play towards aristocratic sensibilities and reignite these? Romanticism and passions and things like that, which just absolutely everywhere in the science fiction of the first half of the twentieth century, as I mentioned previously. Right, this was the core of what everyone was thinking about then. Now, things have changed a little bit, but to get it back, uh, the the major things you can appeal to are exactly those things that make space worthwhile in the first place. So, I think I've said this on a previous podcast. One of the major things space can really give you that's valuable in the modern sense would be distance and isolation. It's not actually that easy to do stealth in space. You can't really hide away in the, uh, the deep darkness like it's an ocean, it's sort of murky. Space is deep, but not murky. You can see through tens of millions of kilometers with actually no difficulty. So it's very difficult making like a, a space civilization that's stealth, right? that you can't see. I've got some ideas about how to do it, uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not trivial. It's not the kind of thing you can really sort of get away with. And so that situation that might occur where, you know, you let people sort of go where they want for the next 50 years and then you wake up one day and you're like, oh, hold on a minute. It, wasn't there supposed to be 100 million people in space? Now there's only there's only like 50 Where'd the other 50 million go. They just sort of, you know, you, you have to troll through the, uh, the old logs and so on. And you're like, well, they were last seen here and now they've just gone. And you know the, the expectation being that what this means is that there's an entire solar system full of people who are completely cut off from civilization, doing their own thing, uh, really doing their own thing, completely free to do whatever they want. And now, like um, a mystery like that is enough to pull people out of Earth with ease. This would if you actually saw some of the types of things that people could produce under these circumstances, you have no trouble drawing people off into space. So you don't even need your own particular aesthetic just looking at uh, the, the breadth of things that people have done culturally in humanity's past, like any of that was fine. And if it's been done in the past with older technology and with older experiences, now the sorts of things you could expect to get built, put together with modern technology and modern experiences, really genuinely alien ones, if you live out in, like say you live in the asteroid belt and you're, you're being sneaky about where you hide yourself, they might be really quite, uh, quite fascinating. Certainly different to the, the more or less monoculture of the world today. So that's easy enough to draw uh, adventurers off into space. Of course, yeah, yeah, like 100 million people in 50 years, yeah, that's hopelessly overly optimistic. But more than that, it's also very difficult to sort of hide away. But you can hide in plain sight. So, like, you can have, I can imagine small outposts being made across Mars, like for official purposes, you know, originally, but then. If you got uh, 100 dudes and uh, dudesses <laughs> who, who sort of sit together doing a particular task, maybe for science and so on, for a while, if they're isolated from all the other groups on Mars, you know, they're perhaps connected by trade, but more or less there's no exchange of people and so on, over time you could expect uh, oracles to show up or, uh, you know, very strange people taking hold in, in small groups. You know, thousands of kilometers away from the nearest like major Martian city, or something like this. you have to go out uh, you know it, it's very expensive to do rocket rides around from place to place on Mars, so like, it, it's not that dissimilar actually to the source of rocket fuel costs required to actually get to orbit going you know long distances on, on Mars. So you, you probably have to spend weeks getting there like on a, on a buggy or something like that, uh, only to find the most the most strange and esoteric things when you arrive. I mean, that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of circumstance is not that expensive to set up, uh, and it's not that unreasonable. You don't need any new kind of technology. In fact, you can, again, hiding in plain sight is totally a doable thing. You just have a little outpost. It's ostensibly about something, but everyone kind of knows is really about something else. That kind of mystery can easily reappear. You don't need that Well, I mean, the Internet is almost like this in a way. You, there are some parts of it you go to. Everyone sort of knows uh, what. What 4chan's about right? <laughs> the sorts of things you're supposed to be able to find on 4chan. no you know not many people actually go to 4chan, but everyone knows that there's there's weird stuff there there's there's weird stuff somewhere on the internet. It's not particularly clear where, but if you are interested in one weird thing or another, you know there's some some way that you can get to it. Somebody knows where something is uh if you if you're so inclined to follow it maybe, maybe that takes uh dark turns of course not just. Not just exciting and mysterious, but like in the case, of the internet genuinely dark. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't, um, I don't advocate for that kind of thing. I don't think that's practical at scale, anyway. So I'm not scared of like, um, I don't know, starfish cults or something like this, like showing up in the, the Warhammer 40K. Never mind. <laughs> uh, for the audience who's not, not, not familiar with Warhammer 40K, it's a good, it's a good uh, mythology. I recommend looking it up. But you know, I'm, I'm not worried about things like that happening because, like, like really, like disturbing stuff. I don't know maybe uh Epstein island type stuff i don't I don't think that's really practical because like you wouldn't if you have like a, an isolated community or something I mean they have to they have to be able to survive and so the same rules that stop civilization going completely nuts because yeah, if it does go completely nuts and everything stops working and you don't have a little civilization anymore if you've got a, a sort of close community everyone's got to be able to provide for each other and provide for the community well there there's there the um the the breadth of Things you can do is quite limited, so you can get uh, strange and wonderful and mysterious, but hopefully not uh, really dark. Hopefully, the really dark stuff just isn't feasible. And so, you know, you have a um, uh, exactly the kind of thing that could draw people out into space, the kind of wonder that's missing really on Earth in many senses. I hear that there are some places you can go still on Earth where there are uncontacted tribes and so on with an, uncont- an uncontacted tribe, like, um, say, in, in the Amazon or the particular islands in uh, the, the just south of India, where there are people who genuinely don't know what Western civilization is. They've not been contacted by Westerners before or by, by you know, high technology users. I, uh, I don't really want to. I, I, I'm not a fan of like, ruining that, being the first to show up, because then you, know, you can't uncontact them. And now you know they they get they get exposed to Twitter or something like that, and you you've ruined you've ruined another another beautiful, uh, really g- genuinely different civilization. And now you know they they all shuffle emails at, at Facebook or something like that instead. It's Like, oh,
1: what? A- that's the Prime Directive. <clears throat> don't don't introduce yes. Twitter to strange uh, and unknown civilizations. Yes, exactly right. The
0: Prime Direct. Well, see, the Prime Directive is is nice, but it's like um, it's only. It's only for, for low civilizations, like non, non-advanced, as in non-technologically advanced, as if technological advancement was, a, um, uh, at the very least, an indicator, if not the sole measure of the advancement of a civilization, or, well, you don't have warp drive, you guys can't be that great yet, we'll, we'll come back in 100 years. I, come on, like, I, in, in, some, in some respects, maybe these places are more advanced than we are in, in fields we don't even appreciate. So like I, with the Prime Directive, I'd extend it. So it's like even, even advanced civilizations to sort of uh, uh, look, look out in wonder, but don't, try not to ruin them. <laughs> if there's a way to not ruin them, uh, try, try doing that. Yeah, Like uh, the, uh, warn people about Twitter. This is a thing that we are afflicted with. So, you know, the way you'd warn people about OxyContin or something like that, so, you know, uh the The guests come on your ship and they uh they they go to the, the the medical bay or something like that. One of them gets in trouble and they're like, "Oh what's this do uh, no, i mean may, maybe that's a thing that has its applications and so on but be wary uh that that doesn't it doesn't tend to work out very well in our experience if you start using that and just apply that to twitter or <laughs> or, uh, or, or or whichever et cetera in any case like um as long as there's there's scope for Weird things to get tried, and interesting things to get tried. That is exactly the kind of thing that appeals to adventurous types—the types who are not um, not satisfied by a uh, a well-paying but secure job that happens in the same cubicle every day for like forty years. Types like this who are uh, who 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 also who also by virtue of being adventurous. Capable of new ideas and things like that. If you can drag them out into space more and more, and you have like a, a a self-reinforcing cycle where the more of them go out, the more interesting space becomes, and the more people are drawn out who are like this, you might wind up in a situation where space is where all the interesting stuff is happening. It's just that at the moment, space is not where all the interesting stuff is happening, except with uh, you know robotic things which don't require human presence at all. But you know. Um... <laughs> It, it seems. It seems at least like this might be a doable thing long term. Shorter term, there are nice tricks we can do just with art and things like this. So I've been thinking about short term stuff as well. Like um, uh, I want to. I want to. I want to start illustrating, uh, like drawing up stuff for a Martian colony, but uh, in in a way that's appealing again to the sorts of people who were appealed to primarily by the science fiction that used to exist last century, rather than the the sort of well. The, the apple punk aesthetic of today, which I don't think is appealing to this group. Again, the, the fundamental distinction, I think, being between uh, sort of pure uh, pure conscious thinking, uh, pure rational thinking, versus uh, 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 vitalistic and subconscious and, uh, and romantic thinking. The people who are inspired by the two uh, at their extremes being radically different. So, you know, like, uh, I illustration and uh, beautiful physical images, I think, have a, a real power over the sorts of people who would really do best going to space. So I've been thinking a lot about this. So, like, um, well, with color theory, at least, we got a few tricks and things, a few indications of stuff that could be tried that makes sense in the field of illustration. So, if you say, um, yeah, like the Martian landscape's orange, for instance, uh, which is not so trivial a statement as at first it sounds. Because it's orange, if you get the just grab the color wheel, uh, look at the opposite part of the color wheel. You see a um, uh, you you see a a blue, like quite a familiar sort of uh, sky, maybe deep ocean blue, like sort of luminous deep ocean blue. That's the opposite uh, color on the uh, on the color wheel, complementary color for for orange. I think it's a complementary color, right? Uh, That's that color scheme, blue and orange, is uh, apparently a very common one in Hollywood. Like it's copied amongst. You know more or less uh, like huge numbers of movies, especially in science fiction, like for the past few decades it's it's a really popular one, and because it, it seems to work really well. What this supposes is that uh, it fully makes sense to paint your 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 vehicles and so on, especially like rovers and stuff like that, paint them blue because they they stand out against the uh, the the orange of the Martian landscape quite well and then as the dust sort of sticks to them, because inevitably it will, it's, you know, the Martian dust is just sort of like this. Uh, there's no getting away from it. It's going to stain everything. Well, if it makes stains around the sides, if you have complementary colors, that still looks cool. And it's still useful because you can see it and hopefully get out the way. So that if you, if you make things which look blue, and of course, you know, like blue spacesuits and so on also make perfect sense here, uh, it's both utilitarian in the sense that you can spot these things and they're easy to see across the Martian landscape. So if something breaks down, you can see it a mile away, many miles away, literally. And if you're right in front of something that's like careening towards you, it's not some random approaching dust cloud. Hopefully you have a better chance of seeing through it and you're like, oh goodness, I'm about to get run over and you jump out the way kind of thing. Uh, we also have... Other combinations as well, like uh, when, you're, when you're going to make, say, uh, an, like a, you know, an illustration or something like this, you, you, you have all sorts of different approaches that make sense for color theory that you can jump onto. Like you can just find compilations of this kind of thing online very easily. So, for instance, uh, you can do like a, a ternary type thing. So you get deep orange, you go directly across in the color wheel, and then you jump up or down, in which case you get sort of a very deep blue sort of indigo. On one side, and like a, a teal, uh, greeny blue on the other. If you want to use combinations like this, so that you could build up things which actually look really nice in the Martian landscape, making use of the, uh, the colors that are actually there. As I've seen, everything's sort of, uh, you know, like white or maybe silver in, in illustrations. Or some of, sometimes it's like yellow. So it's like someone's looked, you know, someone's like, well, I, you know, to design stuff for a space habitat. I know. I'll do. I'll I'll Google. I know a uh, space shuttle. what does that? Oh, it's, it's white. Okay, got black bits and so on. You know, there's there's like the uh, the red. Uh, well, it's like well, that's that's quite an orangey sort of unpainted um, hydrogen oxygen tank, main tank outside of uh, the space shuttle. You know, I'll I'll just borrow those colours and there we go. I'll put something together. Looks kind of like a space colony, and they they tend to look quite boring and so on. So that. Most uh, like illustrations of this kind aren't even really that famous. And if you if if you have to bring to mind what a Martian colony is likely to look like in the next fifty years or something, at least in my case, the image is kind of murky. It's like eh, I don't know. You know, a whole bunch of whole bunch of sort of steel cylinders sitting around, like dust coming over them or something like that. It doesn't look very appealing, which is bad, <laughs> right? From a sales perspective, it's terrible. You want the uh, you want obviously appealing images to come to mind immediately when you think of things like this. At the very least, this is something,
1: some, some place to start, right? Yeah, this is kind of reminding me of things like the way um, early comic books, how th- those were colored. Because when color first came in in printing, it was quite limited. And also you, there weren't a lot of uh, pixels available. So you would have things like Superman is blue and red because those colors contrast which makes it very clear on the page when you have these little tiny uh, figures that you can't necessarily make out in a big scene, you can still say, ah, there's Superman because he's these two contrasting colors that will always stand out and you know complement but also kind of clash with each other in a way that makes them very visible.
0: Yes, that's quite interesting, actually, but not, perhaps not so dissimilar a, uh, a set of restrictions there, although in our case, the restriction really is the color scheme. We have all the, uh, all the pixels we want now uh, no trouble with picking colors of arbitrary kinds uh, to achieve our ends, but we're stuck with the color scheme that currently exists on Mars, which is well, a dreary desert for the most part. So that we have to be more careful. But potentially, uh, I could see this sort of working if you're if you're creative with it, if you uh, if you if you really stop and think about how things should look and take it seriously as well. Just as with uh, with Elon, uh, and the I, did we mention the decisions that he. Uh, he, he asked to be made uh, concerning the, uh, concerning Starship, where he says things like, uh, what was it? There's supposed to be a famous tweet or something where they, uh, so one, one of his, his chief engineers is like, let me get this straight. You want me to uh, change the, the, the top portion of Starship uh, for no engineering reason, just so that it looks sort of less like a phallus type thing. To which Elon said, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> Never mind the engineering. Like, for from a from um, a presentation perspective, from a sales type perspective, that's the
1: right thing to do. Meanwhile, Blue Origin went the exact opposite way with that uh, decision. Yes,
0: no, you're right, right. I gotta be careful, right? <laughs> but at least we got, we have um, you know tricks and things like this, perhaps that we can get to with color theory and composition. You know, as for shapes and things like that, uh, well the tendency as well as to go with things that have been done in the past, I can understand the thought processes there, but they don't, a lot of the times, so the, the thinking behind things like even the moon rovers, things like that, don't translate particularly well to practical situations, especially if you're building the moon rover yourself on site. Now you, know, you want as simple a structure as you can possibly manage. And so some of the choices made for this kind of thing don't really make sense. You want to go with structures even that are like that sacrifice um, at the cost of extra weight. Rather, you you take on extra weight in exchange for a dramatic decrease in complexity. For instance, that's a pretty reasonable deal sometimes. If you have to do things that way, if you're struck with that, probably that's a good you know. Uh, if we make this ten times easier to manufacture but twenty percent heavier, is that okay with you? Yes, yes, it is. That's a great idea. Go with that, you know. If you're if you're starting out, like trying to manufacture things on Mars and so on, on Earth, of course, in the case of like a fighter plane or something, uh, you happily take the you know the tenfold increase in complexity for a project or like some part of a of the plane, if it gets you like a twenty percent weight weight saving, that's a very good deal <laughs> for, for aerospace on Earth. Uh, but again, outside of aerospace, like you'd never do this, and certainly in the context of Mars, etc. So everything has like, um, in some senses, like a very star wars type feel like uh the st- stuff should be um the form should follow the function you know like uh, you should have easily accessible uh equipment and machinery on the outside and so on maybe not directly exposed because then you get dust and everything but it should be easily accessible and easily fixable that kind of look uh is not too dissimilar to what you know what, what i'm what i'm thinking of for, you know, especially the look of vehicles and things like
1: that that makes sense on Mars. Can I point out somewhere where I actually slightly disagree with that point? Sure. And that is uh, spacesuits. Because even though they have to be very utilitarian, um, I kind of feel like when you look at a, an existing, a real life spacesuit, or the kind of spacesuits that you get in sci-fi that are relatively grounded, they always look terrible. Like the experience of being in a spacesuit just seems horrible. I know that SpaceX have had some maybe these are just concept drawings, but ideas where it is much more sleek and it looks like a more advanced kind of sci-fi. What do you think about that kind of form versus function? Because if you go too sleek and sci-fi and Apple, you're not carrying so much of the equipment that keeps you alive and potentially that equipment is more difficult to work on. But then if it gets big, um, it both Looks terrible and looks like the kind of thing doesn't look very engaging. People don't really want to get in those giant suits and fumble about. But also, it it could cause other problems. Like you're not very dexterous, for example, if you're trying to work on the surface.
0: Of course, I couldn't agree more. Excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, I I would never dream of making people wear unesthetic spacesuits. I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, but then the question is, how do you make an aesthetic spacesuit? The uh. Go, Going briefly again back to uh, like you know giant robot suits and so on, uh, the Japanese answer seems to be you don't. You go with a, a suit that's you know like ten meters tall or something like that. There's a cockpit inside. The person coordinates what this thing does, and then it's human shaped, and it uh, it's it's coordinated so well by the the pilot that's just able to do whatever he would be doing if he were outside, maybe like a neural interface or something like that, which is not practical with modern technology though. Surprise! This seems. This seems like the sort of thing that might be possible in a couple of decades. Not that I like that particularly, but yeah, yeah. Um, what would what, what would I do? I've been thinking about this a lot. You have uh you have a few options here as well, like uh, elastomers for spacesuits, or rather, like uh, spacesuits which use uh pressure from a, an elastic fabric to counteract uh vapor pressure in in the uh the fluids of your body rather than just air in the inside of the suit which is what makes it so bulky and generally hideous they look this way because you have air shed around throughout the inside it's much more expensive than using just a uh, an elastic to hold your your hold your body in stop you exploding uh, but then it's also uh well like it is cheaper and uh and lighter and uh in some ways more gives you more dexterity and it looks better but the the price um, so, Robert Zubrin doesn't like that very much. He's not a fan. I think he prefers the older styles of uh, spacesuit design and so on. In his case, he says with them, uh, it's, it's not very practical. Like, you know, if your weight changes, then you have to resize the entire suit and so on. So, you know, you put on a bit of belly fat, something like this, and suddenly yeah. it's, it's hard to get into a, uh, a sleek looking suit. You know, it looks a bit wrong or something like this. So then, in practice, it's probably better to have like a giant, sort of bulky suit type thing. Like, well, maybe Uh, there again. Like, if you're if you're a um, if you're a high quality sort of astronaut and uh, you know you're you're working out all the time, like on the Martian surface, hopefully that's not so much of a problem for you. I, you know, I'm I'm very I'm very pro bodybuilding. (laughs) So, like, um, the the potential for elastic suits is really really good. Uh, The there are a few. A few issues, but like a, a compound suit probably best. So for some areas you have air, for some you have uh, elastic. So very obviously, gloves you want for like a uh, you want like an elastic thing because uh, the the whole the whole lack of dexterity that came during the the moon landings uh, comes about basically for the same reason that if you you know you put on a rubber glove and then you you inflate it and uh, tie it up around your wrist, you imagine doing this like really really inflating it, tying up around your wrist. Now you try to clench your fist and you discover that. What's really happening is, as you try and uh, change the shape of the glove, you're changing the volume of the glove and hence you're compressing the air inside. Well, the air does not want to be compressed, and so it pushes back. It pushes back. If the difference between the outside and the inside is one atmosphere, presumably it is because that's what your hand would prefer, it pushes back with about 10 tons per square meter of force, which is considerable. So that the, you know, the Apollo astronauts are just sort of, they have big buttons, they don't have to... You know, close the fists that much. to just sort of uh, clumsily press like a one big button or another. You know, that like there's no way you could use a keyboard with something like that. It's just impossible. So that's a dead end. Definitely, there you want to have like elastic. And then conversely, with like a helmet or something, you would never have like <laughs> you imagine a, an elastic mask that sort of holds your uh, your face in. That's not practical at all. I mean, in in principle, you could probably do something like that, but there's no reason you would. So in that case, you would have that completely filled with air. But then everything else in between is up for debate. I stand on the side that sort of everything should be elastic, apart from you know like obvious exceptions, so for uh, waist and so on. You know, obviously there you, you need like uh, air pockets and so on. But for the most part, uh, I'd have the entire suit like this. I think there's there's probably even more scope here. There's ways of uh, ways of imagining how to put that together that that make it look even better than what's been what. What we've seen so far, certainly, but even the sorts of things that are tried out in science fiction, I'm sure there's something in there that, that if you have a, a critical eye for engineering, something someone somewhere has tried before. You know, like uh, do you ever get this where you you watch a science fiction? I don't know. And um, I suppose uh, I suppose it maybe only makes sense like if you're if if you're into aerospace engineering and so on, and like you know you watch something which is sort of uh, fantasy type thing, like science fiction fantasy, and it's like a, a lower science fiction. And you know you have a lot of things you take with a grain of salt, and then suddenly you see something and you're like, ah, see that makes a lot more sense perhaps than at first it appears. That's actually not so bad an idea. Maybe not even in the way that it's originally presented, but you're like, you know what? Maybe you might be onto something there. I get that occasionally. You ever heard that.
1: I know what you mean, but I can't think of any uh, examples of that happening recently. Yeah, you know, I mean, to give out now,
0: I don't have any. I don't have any really good ones that come to mind if i if i come up with one at some point in the future I'll definitely i'll i'll come back <laughs> cuz they occasionally they're really quite they're quite interesting and like ah i i don't know um but i i bet you there's something out there something that's been done uh at least at least in science fiction or even fantasy you know, i i don't i don't care where the source comes from maybe it's even the uh the stranger sources that you know i don't know the um Things which which are completely tangential to what apparently we are talking about that have the answers that we seek. You know, I'm I'm happy to to dive into into deep places. Uh, you know, brave the octopuses and so on. Because the deep places tend to have more treasure because nobody frequents the deep places. Or the things that frequent the deep places don't have the same eyes as you. So they, they don't see it as treasure and so they walk straight over it. The octopuses and the uh you know the other the, uh, the other creatures that live in the deep, as far as the analogy goes, you're <laughs> stretching a bit far, but you know. Hopefully, you get where I'm coming from. They don't. They don't see the uh, the things around them as useful, and so they just wander straight by. So it is like with I don't know. Uh, oftentimes, shows which seem like they're completely tangential to what we're talking about here, or other fields and so on, uh, art and philosophy and so on. They, it doesn't seem like this is what you need if you're going to colonize another world. But then. You, you really stop and you look, and occasionally you see some really, really clever stuff. I know this is, where, this is where new ideas seem to come from, so I'm still looking around for stuff like this. So you know, I've been thinking a lot about what to do, so oh, yeah, it's easy enough to point out that such and such a problem exists, and in this case, that there is a, a problem with our aesthetics that uh, doesn't seem to disturb us that much, but it makes us look a little bit, uh, well, I lack like of a better term, probably nerdy to the outside world. <laughs> if you, you want to colonize other worlds and things like this, uh, if, you, if you just sort, sort of give the appearance of uh, you know, people who are a bit nerdy and disconnected, not very fashionable, uh, that's a bad sign. If your plan is to get funding, get connections and so on, get the materials required to make this happen, uh, the ways to get away from that, ironically, might require uh, becoming even more esoteric, looking around, with an eye for things that can actually solve our problems. So, incidentally, if anyone listening to this can uh, come across some, if anyone comes across something like this, or you know, even if you're not quite certain that it makes technological sense, but you know, you see some some concept, maybe like a suit of armor or something like this. I, I know for a while uh, it was all the rage to have, so especially alien, uh, a, you know, like um, Romans, but with with like um, I don't know. Uh, like green romans or like uh, you know like uh, ancient greeks with like crests on their head or something apparently that's what an alien looks like according to the 1950s and 60s right there was there was a trend for a while where the especially the aliens they would have um they have a a, a suit design which looks it, it looks like a complicated sort of um old old diving suit thing but it's more the the helmet's more narrow at the neck Looking into it, it turns out that's actually much more similar to the, uh, the Burgundian knights from the Middle Ages. That's their, their, their armor style, uh, who are famous for just being amazing in every, every which way. They just sort of made huge amounts of money from um, making the best wine. They had like the perfect climate for wine. But you, you look at some of their, their, um, their armor designs and things like this, which you know oftentimes they look really nice. Sometimes you see glints of this, you're like, hang on a minute. That looks that looks suspiciously like something I saw in like a an old uh, sci-fi like sort of B, sci-fi B movie type thing one time. Yeah, someone's been stealing ideas from somebody, and I'm pretty sure since yours predate theirs by like 500 years, it was them stealing from you rather than the other way around. But but yeah, like there must be so many things like that they are just sort of uh, still sitting around cultural artifacts that are waiting to be discovered by our group. And if you can discover some, please send them my way. Right, I'll happily look through, it. and then you know, sadly, if it turns out that uh, what you thought was a uh, you know like a an anti-Kaisera mechanism is just like a, a you know a, a thrown away PC part or something like this, and the net worth is not priceless, but instead just sort of you know five five dollars or something for the the rare earth elements or something like that, you pulled it out of the sea or something, rather than like a, you know some some ancient Greek uh Atlantean super mechanism, uh, you know sadly I will I'll have to tell you that. Uh, you've not discovered a, a, a supreme treasure, but the, the chance always exists. And if you do get one, it could really mean it could really make the difference for the whole movement. I think. I, talking of spacesuits, actually, the major the major issue, another major issue that I see, uh, if you look at the artwork connected to uh, space travel, like the artwork that's supposed to sell space travel, not as like a well, as a purely aristocratic pursuit, so like Star Trek or something like this, or or, um you know there's, there's this bunch of cool dudes, and they, they fight space aliens and space monsters and things like that, uh, because basically they they want to prove themselves as the most noble and uh, beautiful, so that all the girls will sleep with them, which is like a purely aristocratic vision. I, I love that, but that does not sell in the modern world at all. Nobody will buy that. No one will give you money to do something like that most a pity. two hundred years ago they would. I, Four hundred years ago, this is all anyone with money was actually doing. But alas, in the modern day, there's a lot of science fiction that looks like that, and a lot of illustration that looks like that. But no one takes that seriously. The stuff that's supposed to be taken seriously. Looking at the stuff that's supposed to be taken seriously for, especially Mars colonization, uh, you look at, say, like a, um, I don't know, like like a, a an idea for a Mars habitat. You notice everyone's wearing a uniform. They're all wearing essentially the same uniform. It's maybe it's a nice looking uniform. But it's a uniform, and sort of uh, as as a result, they all kind of look. uh, All the characters look sort of dry, very businesslike. You know, uh, they they get their emails uh, well shuffled. Everything's done on time, and so on. They have a good schedule, and you're like, I okay, but the uniforms, and indeed with spacesuits, it's even worse because you have every reason to make sure that all the spacesuits are the same. It's close to the same as possible because if something goes wrong with one of them, you have a spare nearby because the other fifty people on your team—they've all got the same spacesuit, so you can easily like uh, swap over different components and so on. Well, in cases like this, you end up with a situation where I, everyone kind of looks the same, which is really bad. <laughs> okay, so just you know, uh, looking in a in, in a um a, a, a vulgar and inquisitive way as I'm like to do whenever I look at these sorts of things, I I, I see that I'm like, well, I can. I can see why that's not selling particularly well at the moment, uh, where that's lacking. The, the prob- so uniforms and indeed spacesuits are, are not, not so great. If, you, if that's going to be the look of your civilization, imagine a civilization where everyone wears the same thing. Really, that's an army barracks, an army barracks that doesn't believe in war, which is really what modern space colonists and so on uh, are really pitching. So the, the vision for, say, uh, Mars Direct and so on, uh, NASA's vision for space colonization, SpaceX's vision for space colonization, is an entirely peaceful one, which of course is reasonable, right? In the modern world, we we don't live in the Middle Ages anymore. Uh, more's the pity, from my perspective, but not from almost everyone else's apparently. So I, I don't know. Complicated history's complicated, right? But for whatever reason or another, war no longer sells. So a barracks without war. I mean, the closest approximation you have of that is maybe like, um, uh, well. Not maybe maybe it's a an office block or something like that, where everyone's wearing a suit and you have to wear a suit to when you come in. Uh, living in an office block, I mean, wor- working in one is is uh, like they're inhospitable enough just to work in. But imagine living in a suit, right, and like a um a, a businessy type suit, the whole ty- the whole of your life, right, in confined spaces and so on. That's not great. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's more like an Amazon warehouse or something like that. That's even worse, right? Uh, so I, I don't I don't know, uh, like having everyone in uniforms that doesn't look good for a healthy healthy style and things like this, or a, a civilization that can explore styles and new ideas. So I I've um, I've been looking around for solutions that people have had to this kind of problem in the past. Turns out, I mean this come up a lot actually, like you not uh, not explicitly. So again. I, I read between the lines a lot. Whenever I, well, you know, whenever I deep dive in, into into what Google has for me or something like this, well, I'll read books and so on. It's nice to read, or certainly watch television shows. Uh, it's nice to read between the lines. Like you can you can see a lot if you look beyond the obvious. Well, taking taking a story as happening like this, but told in simple images, you can find. Different people's, uh, like the machinations that, that uh, went into people's lives that led them to come to different conclusions about how to deal with this particular problem in different periods of history. So, in particular, in the military setting, uh, even, though, even though Mars is like it threatens to be like an office block or something like this, or a barracks without, without war or military training, uh, actual barracks or rather actual groups of soldiers and so on they're confronted by the, the uniform problem as well. But if you, see, if you see pictures of groups of soldiers, say from like, um, well, I mean, soldiers associated with war was depressing, so fair enough, but, you know, uh, pick, pick your era, right? Some, some, something in color. It makes more sense when you look at them in color, groups of soldiers in color, sort of uh, looking smugly at a camera or something like that, you know, trying to look cool. And like, if you're, if you're a soldier, you've been working out and so on, it's very easy to look cool. So they they don't they don't usually have any trouble uh, when they're, they're posing for a cool picture. Uh, hopefully it's not a not too depressing a picture. You can find these uh, again. Be wary <laughs> about trying this at home, kids. But you can look at like um, pictures of groups of soldiers together. You notice things like, for instance, uh, they they have obviously they have um, different different facial features. Like they they'll, they'll grow out beards and things like this. Uh, do the hair in a certain way so that they can sort of. Uh, uh, separate themselves out from the rest of the group. They, you can, you can tell just by looking at their expressions, uh, radical differences in personality between them, and so on. So these are ways that they can uh, separate themselves out. So you have a group, but then it's, it's clear everyone's got their own sort of role within the group. You can kind of see what that is from a just, just from a picture, right? It, it's obvious. So, so uh, there are still there are still mechanisms by which you can separate people out, even though they're all in the same uniform ostensibly. They have equipment connected to their roles, which they carry around with them. And so the, uh, the equipment itself and the way that you, the way that you have, to, have to adjust, the, the way that you carry the equipment and so on, the way that you use it, uh, leads to you know everyone's in the same uniform ostensibly. In practice, it leads to them looking actually quite different from each other in different settings. So it is with a spacesuit. There's no reason that the spacesuit has to look well, the way it did, say, with Apollo and so on. There's no reason you can't have a space where you stick stuff to it. In fact, that makes all the sense in the world. You can imagine, like, um, uh, now, what's it called? It, no, a bandana is what you put on your head. It's like uh, a gun belt, but not for guns. You know, like uh, for, uh, where you, you imagine like, what's um, uh, like a, a Rambo type thing? I, I, I don't know what it's called. Like a you know utility belt? What's that? Yeah, utility. Yeah, yeah. Well, not quite like like Batman's one, although that's that's a thing too. That's very compact, though. Batman's is a bit too compact. Like you can't, like uh, you wouldn't have everything like uh, very tightly packed away because then it's quite easy, uh, well quite difficult to get to, unless you're Batman. But like you can imagine, sort of uh, flares and things like this uh being reasonable to carry around. You you could like the 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 particular equipment that you carry around with you. Uh, you if you have that. Outside your spacesuit, suddenly you have easily the potential to differentiate between different people. You also have uh, di- differences in differences in dirt and uh, and mess, depending on where you're working. So the you know the scuff marks and things like this, uh, and you know the like residues and stuff like this on the suits depends on where you're going. At least on uniforms and so on. Uh, you know if you're if you're a um, if you're an automotive engineer, it's like oh well. No, a mechanic. There we go. Engineer, automotive engineer designs the cars. Like the mechanic fixes them, right? If you're a mechanic, uh, you know you're covered in like uh, an engine oil and something. You know, this sort of thing, right? Or uh, or like you're you're a uh, a tank operator or something. You, you have a radically different look to say uh, like a sniper or or like a you know a guy who's um, like a frontline soldier like with, with grass stains and mud and so on. But in the context of Mars. These these represent a a wide range of colours that you might like, really, wouldn't expect even. So there's there's obviously the uh, the deep orange of uh, of Martian dust, but all sorts of other things that you know, uh, perhaps you can't even help getting um, getting residue of on your on your suit just in, in everyday working. So that actually, if you were to imagine taking a um, taking like a snapshot of a bunch of astronauts working on something outside on Mars, or like doing an expedition uh as it is at the moment, the typical thing is like they're they're all three d and uh they're all sort of faceless and interchangeable they're all wearing exactly the same sort of suits and you know like the 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 style suggestive of sort of uh it's like a a, a um a boardroom update it looks very dry it's like you know uh at, at the end of my 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 five hundred pages of recommendations for different policies or something something like this. Uh, here's a little image. Space today, you know, it just like um you, you you get bored just just with the description before you even look at the image. I don't think the reality would be like that. If you were to take a snapshot, it probably would look a lot more like uh, a snap snapshot of one of these like uh like a military group from the mid 20th century, for instance, like mercenaries or something like that. very um very like very unusual characters like um. You you can sort, you could tell you don't even need the descriptions though so the descriptions obviously make it a lot more uh, a lot more visceral and in, in many senses a lot more fun depends on what you're into right but uh, you can imagine you can imagine the the and colors between people even wearing the same spacesuits things like equipment uh, if you're going to communicate with each other it's important that you you're able to see each other's faces like otherwise you know uh, the radio stops working or something like that and you have no idea what the other person is what, what mood they're in what what their what their conditions you know what their, what their disposition is at this moment, present moment in time you can't lead a group in a difficult situation without information like that so facial visibility is important however you can get that you want facial visibility if you can if you can afford it so yes ultraviolet light you have to be blocking out ultraviolet pretty well so that you know people don't like go blind or something but beyond that you want to be able to see people's faces that's that has a utilitarian use, so you definitely not want to design that away. And has, even just with this, you have, uh, you have massive scope for the character of various astronauts and so on to come out. So you can imagine actually a snapshot like this, uh, like even with, with the, the various gates of the, um, uh, the astronauts and so on, people working on the Martian surface. You imagine actually like a, a, a whole bunch of visceral detail coming out that you never see in the current promotional artwork for Mars colonization. So that's without any any real um, deliberate aesthetic considerations. I think in reality it would look a lot better than how it's currently presented, without us having to make any changes. Just naturally in the process of say you know like getting an expedition across five hundred kilometers of Martian desert, you can't help but make it look so much more interesting than it's currently like the current artwork suggests. I want to be able to capture that at some point. I, I really think this is important. Maybe it sounds a little trivial, maybe much like philosophy. Once you've said it, it's sort of either it's, it's overly obvious or otherwise it just sounds crazy and it's something that you just uh, ignore, put aside. Uh, but much like philosophy, it's also, I think, critically important. And the kind of thing that, you, that, that, that completely screws you over if you ignore it. And you know, like you, you, uh, everything collapses and you're like, I don't know what went wrong. And it's just something like this that's happening in the background. In any case, for spacesuits and so on, uh, we have these as obvious and simple solutions to the problem of them all looking the damn same. Uh, more than this, though, we have the potential for human vehicles. So, like, um, have you ever seen the sort of kangaroo stilt-type things, like the steel kangaroo skilts? Before- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Right? The, where you see, so occasionally you see, um, uh, it's like a sports thing, like people have like sort of stilt-type things they have, but they, you, can, you can bounce with them. On the Martian surface, I think that actually makes a lot of sense as a vehicle for getting around because your gravity is so much lower, but your mass is very high. Because, like, um, there's no sense wandering around on the Martian surface with hardly anything on your back, because now you know you're at low gravity all the time. So, well, congratulations, your muscles are going to start wasting away. So, it makes sense to pile up on equipment and things like this, so that even you know you, you can have a very high uh, high total mass but your, your, your weight is still only around like, a little bit less, perhaps than what you have on earth. The trouble there is you have a lot of momentum still. So it's very difficult for you to start moving and to stop moving, uh, but at least standing up, you have the same kind of weight pushing down on your legs and so on that you would have on earth. So I think this makes a lot of sense. And hence, I'm happy with quite a, uh, a heavy suit. Again, not a bulky suit in the sense of being ugly, certainly not very, very bad for our optics. Uh, you got to have good optics, right? Otherwise, no one's gonna, no one's gonna come. Uh, but you can, you can imagine things like the stilts actually working, or particular choices like this being taken for uh, getting around by people in spacesuits and so on. Like across the Martian surface, you could, you could probably go quite fast with something like that, because uh, the gravity being low, but your mass being high, you can, uh, and no air resistance. Uh, what's otherwise quite tricky to do. In terms of like running along, getting grip that you need, and so on. Uh, if you're or, or walking, if you're you're doing things the way we do on Earth, suddenly it becomes perhaps not so difficult if you've got the stilts, right? So perhaps you can even get up to speed quite easily, but without any need for electricity. Also, you're isolated from the ground. So if the ground is freezing cold at night, perhaps this doesn't affect you so much. that you could think of ways to isolate yourself from that, so you know you you don't get frostbite on your on your feet for your boots or something, right? Otherwise, that's that's potentially quite a quite a dangerous thing going out at night. is very dangerous on Mars anyway. Uh, but if you have to, there is this you could at least expect to give you a better chance of doing it. So there, there are likely options. Like, oh, you know, maybe you can go even less esoteric, just so like a trike or a, um, uh, well, like a motorbike or something like this as little additions. Uh, a scooter. Well, a bit dusty, I suppose, but you could imagine things like this being tried and uh, being portable enough that still just an astronaut using a piece of equipment so that you get a huge variety and what people
1: actually look like in their everyday lives working outside on Mars. I think we could go on, for, on a bit of a tangent talking about things like stilts versus like a jetpack versus a tricycle. Um, <laughs> I, I think that'd be quite an interesting thing to, to talk about. Yes. But yeah, I, I think you're definitely right about this kind of uh, homogenization of just astronauts that they all seem like they're the same thing because if you want to market something like say you want you're marketing a a video game and it's some sort of an online multiplayer thing you don't approach that in the direction of hey you and your friends can all form this team where you're all the same and you all do the same thing it's more like do you want to be the heavy weapons person do you want to be the mechanic do you want to be the healer do you want to be the spy when you see this picture of just like five random white suited astronauts it's not that appealing that's like that's one thing you're, you're trying to just you've got this one idea and you're trying to approach that one person who identifies with that one idea rather than spreading it out and trying to you know interest a, a broader scope of people yes exactly
0: exactly so it's also not practical like it made sense if you're like for the Apollo astronauts if you're you know your, your mission is just a couple of hours and it's basically put down a flag and take a few scoops of soil because you know, hopefully you can get back before there's a solar flare. You have no shielding, so you will die <laughs> if there's a solar flare. If you get caught, that's the end of you. We're sorry, but there's nothing we can do. So maybe you should come back home real fast, kind of thing. And you know, uh, with late 1960s technology, they, given the situation, it's it's incredible that they were able to get to space at all. But the Apollo landings are not the uh, not the final word in spacesuit design or in um, in Extra, extra, extraterrestrial operations, extraterrestrial operations. There we go. Extraterrestrial gives the impression of aliens or something. Uh off of Terra, off of Earth, right? In ex- extraterran operations, you would expect, you know, if it's if it's hundreds of people working together for many weeks, or months, or years, doing something big like construction or, um, or 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 real exploration, like looking for fossils or something like that. That's much harder than just like scoops of uh, of soil and so on. That's an extremely difficult thing to try to do, covering enormous amounts of space. Uh, you need special equipment, like to you, know, you imagine trying to look through soil and so on with sonar. Now you have no choice but to have specialization in terms of you know, different people bringing along different equipment, having different roles, and uh, you know, when you pick your team, you know the, in, in every, uh, every action movie or something like that. Uh, just after the 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 head of the group is recruited, I don't know, say like the A team or something like this, but or um, was it that like you have got some space related ones as well? Like uh, was it Armageddon? Like you know this kind of film? It's like the you have the main character the who has to be recruited, and he's like, I'll only join if you let me pick my team, and the guy's like, okay, and you're like, pick your team. Well, you all going to be wearing the same spacesuits, just doing the. Why does it matter? You know, if, what what do you need to pick your team for? And then you see. Picking picking your team really means that uh, you you want a group of in many senses very radically different people uh, working together, sort of making a a, a unit where they can uh, by virtue of like if you have good understanding of how people work, like your experience with this, you you pick your team so that they can they can really get on with each other, and their their differences actually end up sort of becoming endearing over time. And like, you know, like, um, this kind of problem is not, not new. It's, it's actually pretty much ubiquitous for humanity. And so it's, it's actually quite natural to have exactly this kind of thing appearing. Like it's, it's, you have to be quite artificial to find anything else. So you know, it's actually quite nice. Not only is it sort of uh, much more appealing to anyone, like if you're doing advertising for, well, we're going on an expedition, it's a difficult thing where there are multiple aspects to it. Which could be, you know, a team fortress game, perhaps, or you know, like a, or what is it, Unreal tournament, or something like this. Could be that that that's perfectly true there, or it could be like a working on an oil rig, or it could be making a making a giant mural or something like that, or like a, or, or a construction project. In all of these cases, or, or or an advertising campaign, right? In all of these cases, you have the same the same premise, very complicated thing. It's going to require radically different people. When well, you get them all together. When you're constructing your team, it's much nicer if there are different roles for people, and uh, you, you require radically different personality types, and so on. That individuality then can't help but sort of come through in practice uh, with with the the outfits and the uh, the the mode of being, the the expressions on faces, the build in some cases, like the physical build of people involved doing each particular task. You you can't help but see it when you look at such groups right you find you know um, uh, pictures taken in the moment so to speak uh, i know one of the memes for you know taken in the moment gets get a little dark it's like well with military things you know uh, living in the moment yes maybe, uh, looking back at history there's a lot of dark stuff here fair enough but you know uh, there's a lot to be said for uh, real experience and so on and like you can find a lot of a lot of um, uh, like very jarring pictures of real stuff going on Where you can't help but sort of see the differences between people and and, uh, their individuality can't help but come out, even if they're all in uniform and so on. So, like, I I think in practice, uh, the aesthetics associated with this, if you get cool dudes coming into space, and you know, if you're listening to this, probably you're a cool dude, uh, just so you know. (laughs) I mean, um, if we get enough cool dudes coming into space, then maybe this part of the aesthetic problem might start to fix itself even without clever Thor thought-, thought about what to do. Uh, but at least if you're going to get this far, the advertising needs to look very different. So I, I want to see if there are ways that we can pick this up naturally. I, I don't know. I've been, been trying, to do, uh, trying to do illustration for a while surrounding this. It's quite difficult. I want to, um, I want to romanticize uh, manned space travel once more the way it used to be, but also keep it technical. I want to I want to make it more technical and more romantic at the same time, which I think is perfectly possible. I mean, things like this have been done before. I I'm I'm still new at drawing. Like I, I get the idea. Like I, I think I'm I'm not terrible. Uh, there are some aspects of colour theory in particular I'm not particularly good with. Like I, I don't have much experience with colour theory. I'm more sort of uh, like uh, grayscale and things like this, but it's, eventually I want to make something like this. It, it strikes me that no one um, either you have people who are working in the video games industry and they're just like, well, you know what? Who cares? Whatever. Like um, there's a big warp drive rocket thing on the side and it just does what it does. Uh, how do we make this look cool? Or at the other end of the scale, you have people like, okay, well, you know, uh, are you sure the rocket should be 93.5 millimeters in its its width for this section? I thought it was 93.4. Could we look that up, please? Can say, you know, uh, <laughs> Where's the 500-page document telling you exactly what the freaking <laughs> the legends are, etc. And they have no care at all for aesthetics. I, I want something in between, the way that it used to exist. Again, I keep coming back to this. The way the way people were naturally drawn to, uh, like with Thunderbirds, for instance, like they have uh, cross-sections books where they talks about talk about like the the interior. You know, they give um, suggestions for how such things might work. They're not really completely on point, but they're still like just the idea that you would go to the the uh, the lengths of looking at the interior operations of like thunderbird 1 or something like that or thunderbird 2 and so on uh, that's that's not alien at all to civilization even as it was like maybe 40 years ago that that was probably at the end of it but certainly like 50 or 60 years ago they uh, no one would no one would bat and either at this if you're working as an engineer and, you know you you're just like well i'd like to i you know i I want to design my own, uh, my own spaceship type thing for going to another solar system. You now, people are like, well, cool, of, of course you do, <laughs> Right, <laughs> me too, right? <laughs> I, I, but now it's kind of everything, everything sort of stratified into these two, two fields. So I, I want to find a way to connect them, but it requires at once uh, getting the science right and getting the, the art right, the aesthetic right. I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm there in some sectors and not there in others. I eventually I want to get this out, though. Trust. It'll be nice. I, you know, it might take me like three years or something crazy like this to get
1: to the point where I can actually draw properly. But at the risk of turning this into a very long episode, how much of this do you think carries over into kind of home design? Because um, whenever you see a, a colony or really anything that's set in space, it's very much like a, a barracks, unless you land on some random other alien planet. But then they all have their Their own aesthetic where it actually everything there looks the same but obviously uh, also in space you need to be quite practical so you know you're not going to probably have 30 different designs for a bed or a table and things like that what do you think about where that sort of practical manufacturing for for pumping out all these items of furniture and so on and, and the way people can decorate their living spaces and things like that you've got to have limits on it because you can't just, you don't have the, the capabilities that we have here on Earth. But also, it does look depressing. It does all just look like a military barracks. Right? See, what really gets me about
0: these things is the ironies attached to this. Uh, the taking, taking, for example, uh, in the modern day, the condition that we have on Earth when you're, when you're, say, designing what the interior of your house is going to look like. Uh, you, you have all of human industry working for you, potentially, that you can pick from. That not everyone's making a product just for you, obviously. Almost nobody is making a product just for me, but I'm making a product just for you guys, just so you know, right? <laughs> but no one's waiting, like, almost nobody makes a product just for me. But the whole point is you can pick through all of the potential products that are being built. And uh, subscribe to one that's very similar to what you want, which is very nice, and hence you you have access to, in a sense, you know, like the the total economic output of well, like seven seven and a half billion people, but it's really a, it's a few a few billion of those who are actually doing doing the work, uh, designing and then actually building stuff. But still, you know, there's there's an enormous industrial output, uh, and yet and yet. The interiors of our homes actually look kind of the same. They, like um, the scope for the scope for uh, radically unique stuff has gone down since, say, uh, you know, well, three hundred years ago in Western Europe, or well, actually, you know, four hundred years ago in all of, well, I'd say even the majority of the world. You know, a, cu- a couple of hundred years ago, uh, especially, well mainly if you're in the aristocracy but not solely if you're in the aristocracy contrary to what you see in like medieval movies and so on uh like even even the common person was dressing uh, like dressing around in in really bright colors and so on like uh, it that was kind of the norm uh you know everywhere you go everyone's got something on them that's unique that's built directly by craftsmen uh like so they so that Almost no, no two people's houses need be the same because nothing's mass manufactured. So that, as as our populations have grown, <laughs> we have less scope for individuality and so on. Everything becomes more sort of manufactured. And as a, you know, like as, well, there were smaller numbers of people, yes, but um, uh, may, is, is it a technology thing? Well, we've gotten, we've got more sophisticated in terms of the things we can manufacture today. It takes much less time to make stuff today. Than it used to take a few hundred years ago, and there were more people to do it, and you have a much bigger variety in a sense. Hopefully, at least that's what they say. You have a much bigger variety of people on Earth. I get the feeling actually that um, uh, culture is all collapsing into one thing, as I keep saying. Right. So, in, in reality, I think the, the the world was a lot more culturally diverse a couple hundred years ago. I really miss that, and you can see it casually if you pick up uh, well, pick up a book written in that time uh by our standards, everybody's crazy. I love it right and you know today i well it's another you know hashtag our values it's just you know three hundred pages such and such a thing and I, it seems like in any case um it, the capacity to set up your uh, set up your living space uh in such a way that it's it's unique and beautiful and feels like a home and not a barracks uh you know like not like it not not like not like a um a uh, uh, a worker's flat in Getty Prime from the Frank Herbert's Dune series, right? The you know the sort of Eucamenophilus kind of uh, uh, completely industrialized planet type thing, like the the bad guys' place, right? Uh, your capacity to make somewhere that you'd actually want to live might well be enhanced uh, when you get away from <laughs> when you get away from Earth, even though you have less uh, less manufacturing ability, if if you have a uh, an inclination towards making your own stuff. So. The problem is access to materials. You go back three hundred years, and you know there's forests everywhere. Okay, there's not forests everywhere. Being fair, uh, there's more forests, but they're not everywhere. You go back three thousand years, and there's forests everywhere in Western Europe for sure. But now, uh, you know, like and, and and elsewhere, and so on. Though apparently, large stretches of Romania still haven't grown back from the period in which uh, when Venice was made. They they cut down well they, they paid for enormous amounts of uh, forest to be cut down to make the the wood uh, pilings uh, on which to build the the city. So in many senses Venice is like a floating city. But they ripped down the entire like stretches of forest. <laughs> Apparently they're still not growing back. So like, ah oh dear well that that's no good. Uh, but nonetheless uh, you know never mind never mind the relative issues. Uh, certainly there's enormous amounts of. Uh, wood available, wood land available, other resources that you just take for granted on Earth that are not available on Mars. So if you want to have a nice, uh, you know, like wooden bedstead or something like this, uh, good luck. Wood's going to be extremely expensive in space, uh, and you know you don't get to cut down my trees because they're growing. They're growing pineapples and they're growing coconuts because these are extremely good for bromelain from the the pineapples as a, uh, a protease, extremely useful. Right? You want that. And so, you know, like any trees I can get growing, you you're not having that for wood, okay? Much like in the Middle Ages, you say, well, well okay, they've got animals and so on. Well, great, we have access to meat. Uh, no, you don't. No, they're for plowing the field. Okay, the meat's for the king sometimes, or like for a feast oh well, no, no, the king always gets his meat, right? But for, for like a feast or something, he's not killing my oxen, okay? You have to go out and like you hunt the deer or something like that. But the you know, most of the farm animals, they have their own their own purposes. So that access to things that we take for granted on Earth are going to be highly limited. Resources like this are really going to be hard to come by. And if you so, the inclination then is to just make everything out of plastic, use 3D printing to make whatever shapes you want, and you just sort of design the shapes that you, you like yourself. Well, I mean, it's it's so it's so alien and material, plastic, generally speaking. That really what that means is you know you scroll through um, a whole bunch of 3D models on a uh, like a like a hosting website where they got these things. You, you pick one you want, then you 3D print that. It's like, well, I guess, but I don't know. That, that either feels like it would get tacky or that it's missing the point somehow. So either it's tacky or, it's, or, or you're in the barracks again. But it's like, it's a, a barracks that's pretending not to be one, like a zoo. You're just like, oh, you know, uh, there's, there's a painting of, a, um, of some grass in the background. So don't worry, you're still out in the forest. The tiger doesn't get fooled. And neither do I. <laughs> okay, so you can If I, you know, if you're trapped like in a in like a cage type environment, you know, very closed in, you you can't fix it with things like this. Uh, you know, like so, yeah, the, the kinds of materials you'd have access to would feel uh potentially very fake. Like if you could see it getting done wrong, even if you were trying the best you could, uh, even if you didn't have like a consumer culture where you just sort of buy stuff because it's on sale and it's fashionable, but then you throw it away again so you make something that's supposed to last if you make things that's supposed to last i think this is why by the way so uh, on earth uh, even though we have access to such enormous industrial capability in the modern day everything seems to be more or less the same everyone's you know like the the brand t-shirts it's like uh, you know you have all these t-shirts to choose from but then in practice like everyone's sort of um, you know you go around in the street and you see oh that guy's got the same basic t-shirt as me and the same same shoes and oh I thought I was so I thought I was so unique when I was in the shop. Or so you know, I don't I know. This happens to me sometimes. Uh, I, I don't know if it happens to you. Hopefully not, right? But you can perhaps escape this if you're doing it. You're uh, doing it yourself, or you're in a position where you intend for stuff to to last forever and not just get thrown away. Then you don't need to make so much to have a uh, a really nice environment that you live in. Nonetheless, like, uh, I, so my, my inclination for how to fix this is to focus on materials you do have access to that are local, locally available resources. In the case of Mars, that is nothing organic that we know of. And perhaps if there is something organic, you probably don't want to use it. So, like microorganisms or something, uh, probably they're not going to be very friendly. That's not to say, you know, that's like um, like venom from Spider Man or something like that. That's pure science fiction. It's very unlikely you're going to have uh, any kind of a uh, pathogen that can infect a human or something like this if it's currently living on mars but probably it's you know going to be like the the mold in your sink or something like that's not particularly great for any any you know uh, constructive purpose but there's a lot of rock around on mars there's a lot of rock basaltic rock uh, some of which is solid uh, the, you know on the surface like a lot of it is soft and very very fine dust which is hard to make stuff out of it's also full of perchlorates and so on so you probably don't want that but if you can find like large blocks of uh of basalt or other other minerals around uh it, there's no reason you can't just pick some of that up and cut it into shapes that you like and now like it it feels a lot more organic like you know being around like a um, a proper like stone work surface that feels so much nicer than like a a cheap plastic one or at least this this seems to be why they go for so much more so much more um I did. I I don't know the cost of work surfaces. That, you know, like in a, in a kitchen, like kitchen work, but I know that they go for enormous amounts of money, right? And people pay it. It looks really nice. Like when you got one, you can you can experience it. You could you can imagine using things like this uh, as a way to make make an organic environment that actually feels nice to live in. But then, in addition to this, you have also access to quick-growing plants and the things you can get from quick-growing plants. So I I think having plants of your own that you tend to that grow in the environment that you're actually living in, if you can manage this, is a really great solution to problems of this kind. It's not easy, and they can die. Sometimes they die out. What happens then? Do they start uh, decaying? But like you have to get rid of that quickly, or it's going to like because it's hard to purify your air, expensive to purify your air. You don't want decaying plants in your room or decaying anything. So you need to get rid of it. And you're like, ah, oh, I thought they were doing so well. I watered them like you know, five times a day or something. You know, uh, plants are like. They're, they're not very dependable. So there's problems associated with that. But if you get good at it, having a, uh, like, or, or like a, well, not another bonsai tree, but like something, perhaps something that climbs up a wall or something like this, uh, you could imagine that, that sort of giving a uniqueness and character to where you live. I, again, actually, that, that one is, that's quite similar to the aesthetic that we have today. That's not so far from Apple Punk. You know, that is uh, crisp obelisk like shapes. Uh, it as a juxtaposition with like uh, 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 immensely complicated natural things like, you know, like leaves and so on. Well, if you have like a, a plant thing growing up your wall and then a, uh, a display screen over the top, that's exactly the modern aesthetic that that fits in perfectly with Apple Punk. So there we go. I mean, that actually doesn't look so bad. That kind of thing I could maybe go for uh, together with actual, you know, obelisks of, well like obsidian or um, you should probably... You, I, there's there so many volcanoes around Mars, things like obsidian ought to be relatively easy to come by, right? So that's uh, just very, very silicon rich. Like, uh, sort of, Well, everyone's seen it, right? It's sort a of black glass, very, very, um, very, very dark. It's quite, it's quite a nice, uh, quite a nice substance. You know, like you can imagine finding natural materials like this and then making use of it for your living environment. Uh, of course, this stuff is not very portable. So you'd have to be, you know, like you don't bring this around with your expedition. Your expedition is therefore not going to be quite so homey as your actual home. But then, you know, if you're living on a wagon, essentially, like on a, on a convoy that's going thousands of kilometers out to the deep desert, places humans have literally never been before, you can't really expect it to be quite so, uh, quite so pleasant an environment to live in as what is possible with somewhere you stay for all time. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> These are things that could be done. Ways that you could go about trying to solve the problem you just described, Uh, but it's yeah still a problem, and those aren't sufficient. Really, what you need is wood. You need forests and things like that, but they are so difficult to do in space because you need a habitat that uh, never fails once for like forty years, ever. Otherwise, you know, a failure destroys a tree, and it has to like they're very very fragile. If you're growing them with say not even in soil, soil you need to move like hundreds of tons of soil for every. Tree, right? So it's much better, more attractive at least to use, say, like um, uh, hydroponics or aeroponics. Better still, if the aeroponics stop working for 10 minutes, the tree dies. As so it has a state, it's got to be, it's very expensive to set up and it has to work perfectly all the time, basically forever, right? For many decades for you to get a tree you can harvest at the end. So that had better be a very nice mantelpiece that you're getting as a result, right? You know, a $10 million mantelpiece. Maybe maybe some some people are blatantly going to do this, but uh, probably not for quite a long time, and
1: even then, probably not the average guy. So to close out, um, I want to circle back to something that we were talking about earlier briefly, um, and that's uh, that's colors. So you mentioned also printing things out of plastic is potentially something, and we've talked about using plastic in manufacturing on on other episodes. So, can we synthetically create all kinds of colored dyes on Mars, or are we in a situation where just some of the things you need to make those dyes are actually quite obscure because you hear about things like a particularly rich red colour that is actually made by crushing the shell of a particular beetle. And obviously, that's not going to work out. But can we uh, synthetically make pretty much any colour? I should know that.
0: As far as I know, the answer is yes. But I don't know, I don't know exactly how that goes. Uh, I don't know how to make the, the typical colors of a printer, for instance, like cyan and so on. But uh, what you're talking about is cochineal uh, that is no longer, use, well, it's used for food coloring, but you can artificially make red, like and, you know, I'm looking at many uh, well, red fabrics around me right now. Uh, these, are, these are not made with cochineal. Uh, these are made with, with other kinds of dyes. Uh, we have The dye revolution was something that really happened in the 19th century. And it's amazing. Like It's connected in many senses to the, the rise of chemistry, industrial chemistry in the West. Uh, this is a a really clever thing that people suddenly figured out how to do, uh, because, well, previous to that, as you say, like you have things like the the red dye that comes from beetles. Uh, we know it comes from beetles, so people using it at the time did not. Like if you want really fancy red dye, well, you get it you get it from the really fancy red dye salesman. Uh, you know, he gets it from I, I can't remember. I think it's a silk Road that it came through. I, okay, i'm going to I'm going to say Asia. But it could be the Americas. Are you getting cock I can't remember, right? Uh, but you know, like the, they don't tell you where, you, where you where it comes from, really. Like Silk, uh, the, the Chinese and then the, you know, the, the Mongols when they were in charge, etc. Uh, they keep that secret for as long as possible because you know, like it's a license to print money. Because you, know, you get your really expensive dyes and so on. Uh, you can sell those for enormous amounts. And so you keep the production process secret. Uh the, the 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 you can imagine the sorts of things that uh, that show up the, the cults well not the cults but the the um the prestige that shows up around particular colours hence our association between uh, regalness and purple after the, the Phoenicians Pun- Punicia in, uh, in 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 Roman uh, Punic meaning purple uh, so the 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 purple people uh, they the uh, well like more or less an offshoot of them were the Carthaginians. Who they famously got in a, a big conflict with, like a a war in heaven type uh, apocalyptic conflict, which ended with them completely wiping out Carthage entirely. This like, uh, you know, pulling pulling the weed out with a trowel, filling it in with sand, and planting a cactus in its place so It could never come back. They really ended up hating each other, but but for a while, like um the 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 Punicians, the Phoenicians, they uh they got purple dye especially from a um a particular a particular sea urchin type creature. They were, they pulled them out of uh, uh, of the ocean and then of uh, well, the Mediterranean, and they only they knew how to make it. They you had to go through a huge number of them to get a tiny amount of purple dye. And then if you want to make clothing for the emperor or something like that, well he's got to be wearing purple. But it's extremely expensive. To a large extent, you can just make anything now with uh, you know with 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 petrochemistry, and in terms of what you need, it's. I. I don't think you even need any any exotic elements. Uh, you know, anything more exotic than nitrogen for your organic uh, your organic compounds. Excuse me, that make the uh, the, the the dyes themselves. Now, obviously, you got uh, occasional ions and things like that. So that, you know, for um, for shorter wavelengths, you want. Uh, I Believe this is how it works. Goodness, I hope I don't get this wrong. <laughs> but you need you need very strong uh, like strong bonds within your molecule. Uh, the idea being that the, the natural frequencies of those more or less correspond to the, the colors in question, so you can interact with that light. Uh, but then, you know, for, at the other end of the scale, you need sort of uh, weaker bonds to interact with red light. Oh dear. That's like, uh, what's the line from Rick and Morty? 40% red as usual, Morty. Uh, it's, it's something like this, right? Uh, nonetheless, you know, this is all accessible if you're very good at chemistry. No, but if you're, if you're not good enough at chemistry, and this is the kind of thing that you, you don't have really time to do on site, uh, if you need to transport, you know, like um, 50 kilograms of dye from Earth every two years, for like your colony, that's, that's no big deal. You can just have that a lot. A graphics tablet or like, or, or like a, uh, a CPU is, uh, by contrast, impossibly hard to make on Mars. That there's no choice. You've got to take that from Earth. There's no way you're making like a, a CPU on Mars, right? Uh, by contrast to that, dyes are not that big of a deal. Uh, but then, you know, like you can, yeah, as far as colors go, uh, in principle, as far as I understand, you can just make anything you want with modern, modern petrochemistry, but you don't have petrochemicals. And so uh, you have to, you know, you, you do like maybe the Fisher trough process so to make like random long chain hydrocarbons and you sort of uh, sift through them. Which is kind of like what's happening when you boil uh, coal or you heat coal up to it li- without any oxygen, so it sort of seeps out this uh, the strange coal tar type stuff. Uh, it's kind of similar, I, th- I think, <laughs> to what's going on with the Fischer-Tropsch process. I speculate, therefore, that if if you're able to do this, and the Fischer-Tropsch process is totally something we can do on Mars, then uh, you you're at the point where essentially you're you're on par with what was happening in the 19th century as far as dye is concerned. Uh, and then things like uh, Prussian blue, for instance, the very deep sort of blue is very nice. Uh, you 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 can make that just with well, really simple stuff, actually, like iron oxide. I think, I think it's iron. Oh goodness! Uh, certainly like uh, si- si- uh, prussic acid, so cyanide, uh, and basically, and you 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 mix these uh, you mix these things together in a particular way. Pr- Prussian blue's got a very strange structure actually as a dye. It's like a like a hex, a weird. You can look this up, like the uh, sort of cubic structure of um, Prussian blue. So that Prussian blue analogs are used for battery production. Potentially, I'm looking a lot at how to make batteries for energy storage on Mars and so on. You can do this as a side thing. Uh, if you want, you can go through routes like this to get p- very particular colors. Actually, you know, like um, if it came to it, if we we're at the stage where we didn't, we didn't want to bring in so much dye from Earth and so on. There's no reason you couldn't actually just make massive amounts of like blue, uh, Prussian blue, for instance, which is a very strong color on site. That's one of these things where there's a, a simple trick to it and you can just make enormous amounts of it. And you just color everything with paint everything with this uh, this very deep blue. It would go well, as, as I was saying previously, that would go relatively well with the Martian landscape. You'd be able to spot things uh, from quite a way away, you know, as far as like uh, spacesuits and so on, you know. The slow encroachment of uh, rust, orange uh, from, the, from the dust and so on over your, your Prussian blue segmented uh, spacesuit. I mean, that, that's quite a feeling. I could see that working. So short answer, yes. Any color is fine. Short answer, yes. As far as I know, uh, I, I, that one I haven't researched. That's just stuff, uh, random stuff I knew about. <laughs> I've, I've, I can't confirm, but I strongly suspect that the answer is just whatever, whatever goes in the modern world. Summarizing then the aesthetic conditions mentioned before, this whole subject is quite close to why, why we're really pulled to space in the first place, those of us that are. Like, there, are no, there are no rational reasons to go to space if your objective is just make as much money as possible. You, know, you, should, just, you should make a botnet if you want to make as much money as possible. Uh, that's a much, much easier way, a much faster way, and so on. That's not what space is about. And you can tell immediately that this is so when you look at uh, at the at, at the way people thought about space travel and so on. Uh, whenever whenever they were dreaming about it previously to the current condition of the world, you know, even like thirty years ago, the way they looked at things. Perhaps in some senses, even ten years ago, though, even there is getting a little bit tired. The look and feel of space, the way that it makes sense, and uh, that stands a chance of coming into existence that stands a chance of being worthy of the enormous uh, expense and uh, you know hard work and sacrifices necessary to actually make space colonization possible is critically important and it's not quite the casual thing that we've made out uh, you know today it's not like a, a simple problem to solve the aesthetics what it should look like and how it should be so i you know for this podcast i i had a I had a go at um, uh, talking about what I thought the problem was and uh, you know we had, we had a discussion about what to do and where to go with it. This is not the final word on this, maybe this podcast, but certainly not my final word on this sort of in my life and career. I, want to, I, I really want to see if this can't be done, uh, like if, if, if a vision for space that really works can't be put together somehow at some point in the future, but for now. This is this is what we've got. And it, as the future goes on, if any of you have any suggestions for something that we might do to fix this, please let us know. We have an email address working now. Thank goodness. It is podcast at nexusaurora.org. So uh, questions
1: and uh, ideas, things like that. Uh, I love reading this stuff. And if you want to, you can even record yourself asking the question and send that to us, and we will actually drop that into the show. In which case... Peace out, Space Noids.